today on It's Time. Because it isn't a bunch of rules and regulations, it's a relationship with God who now lives in it. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. So, turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. This is where we left off last week, and we're going to continue on looking at this interesting book in the Bible, because what it does, it corrects the idea that something that we do makes us holy. And really, that's kind of a, a problem, because again, there's a lot of pride that goes along with that. So before we read Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, thank you that you love us. And thank you that in your word, we have truth. In a world where there is no truth, we have truth in you. And so now, as we spend this time reading your love, letter to us, we ask you now that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, real quick, um, everything you need to know about God is in the Bible. You know, it's always interesting to me that there is always somebody that's going to try to add something to God's Word. It's interesting that we find here in verse 9, and this is where we left off last week. He says, as we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than the one you have received, let him be accursed. This word accursed in the Greek is the word Anathema means may they be condemned to the lowest hell. Paul was pretty serious about this. You know, when you start seeing this kind of dynamic language in the Bible, it tells you how serious he is. Now, I'm always amazed when somebody knocks on my door, nicely dressed, and they say, we have another gospel for you. I go, have you never read Galatians at all? Because it warns explicitly what you're doing is wrong. Now, again, when we look at this, we realize that Paul wrote to this church at Galatia, the the area of Galatia, these churches scattered throughout modern-day Turkey, because of uh, of the Judaizers were coming in after Paul would preach a message of salvation in Christ Jesus, the Judaizers would come in afterwards and say, well, that's great, but you have to add the law to it. And so we still have the same problem today. Now, again, written around 50 AD, we still have the problem today. They'll say, well, Jesus died on the cross for you, and that's great if you believe in him, but to really be saved, you have to follow our hoop jumping. And they always got a hoop out there for you. Well, you got to worship on Saturday. Or you can't eat pork. Or you got to get sealed in the temple. Or you got to do this. Or you got to do that. Always adding to the simplicity 
of Christ. Dangerous stuff. Paul says, may they be condemned to the lowest hell. Now, friends, that's pretty strong language when you look at it in the Greek. That's why he uses this in this way. Verse 10, for now do I persuade men or God? Now, that's a good question. Do I persuade men or God? You better be persuading men because I don't think we're going to talk God into our plan. This is a real problem. I, I think sometimes prayer is kind of an interesting thing in my own life. And I've shared this different times in my life. Uh, uh, I was raised in church. I saw a lot of really kind of crazy stuff go on in the church. Um, and I, I still remember this old lady that came forward um, and she said, oh God, did you see the six o'clock news tonight? And evidently because she was sure he didn't, she told him it and then told him what to do about it. Am I persuading God or is God sovereign and I need to be about his business? Now notice he says, now do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Now this is a real problem because as we remember, as, as we studied in the book of John chapter 12, verse 43, the Pharisees loved the praise of men. Oh, you're so good, you're so righteous, you're so holy. Because they would see the religious garb they would wear. They would make long, pretentious prayers in public. They would do all these things and somehow to make people believe that they were something that they weren't. This is always a problem. There's an old saying, whatever you are, be what you are. If you don't like what you are, you'll know where to go to get help. If you're heavenly with the heavenly, hellish with the hellish, you don't know which one you like best. So I believe that there's a real blessing in being what we are. Now, I say that in this, that we need to be what we are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's an old saying, Jesus loves me just as I am, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And God will always be refining us in that process of our relationship with him. In other words, and this is what is so wonderful about the gospel versus religion. When we ask Christ into our life, he really comes into our life. And how does he come into our life? That wonderful, invisible third part of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. He comes and he moves inside of us, okay? The Bible says, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Now, this isn't something that comes over a period of time of uh, uh, knowing the difference between good and evil. This is something that God moves on us when he moves into us, again, that invisible Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because it isn't a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a relationship with God who now lives in us. Now, again, all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Paul the Apostle, the one that's writing this, was on his way to Damascus, Syria to kill Christians, to have them arrested, to have them put to death. And we remember he saw a great light from heaven. He fell to the ground. The Bible said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the Bible tells us, he responds and says, who are you, Lord? Probably one of the shortest uh, salvation prayers in the Bible. Who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Well, he became transformed. He gets to Damascus. He, 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 he gets there, meets up with Ananias, and, and uh, uh, everybody's scared of him. They thought, well, 
he's turned stealth. He's a spy. He's come in here. His whole gig is to kill us. And so he's going to pretend he's one of us. And then, and so everybody was scared of him. Here he says, for if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. Now, friends, this is a pretty heavy statement. If I still seek to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why? You can't have two masters. You can't please men and, and, and please uh, God at the same time. Now, why is that? Because the way of people, unregenerated, is contrary to the Spirit of God. So he says, if I it was to serve men, I could not please God. So he says here, but I make known to you, brethren, calls them brothers, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to men. Thank God for that. You know, the gospel that you have in you is not something that men has designed. Why is that? Because people are prideful by nature. We just are. I mean, we're all that way. I went to an auto show yesterday down in Hagerman. And uh, uh, you had, you know, everybody out there showing shine. They're shining up their cars. And they're proud of their cars because it's something that they did. Or even for that matter, something that they bought. But no matter what it was, they were prideful and they were happy about what they had. Now, I don't begrudge anybody that. That's great. But when it comes to who we are as an individual, God is the one that gets the glory because he's the one that made us. Now, when it comes to righteousness, there's something within man that says, look what I did. Look at me. In fact, I'm so good, I'm better than you. Well, that's not the standard. It doesn't matter how good I am. It's how good God is. And if we stack ourselves up against the goodness of God, well, we realize what sinners we really are. That's why Jesus said to those who were trying to justify themselves by the things they did and didn't do, the law keepers, he said, if you thought it in your heart, you've done it. Whoa, all of a sudden now, God goes, Jesus goes, for the very intent of the heart. That's why Paul says, there's none righteous, no, not one. Why is that? Because either we've offended indeed, or certainly we've offended God in thought. Now, this is why, again, we need a Savior. This is why we need an ongoing relationship with God. Not just, well, God, thanks for salvation 20 years ago in the Brethren Church. Oh, thank you for saving me. Now I'm freewheeling. No, that isn't the way it works. The more we live in Christ, the more we realize our dependency upon him. Because every day... You and me were challenged by things that come to us. And without the word of God in our life, without that relationship with Christ, I have nothing to base that thought upon. Is this good? Is this bad? Is it, what's it going to do to me in 20 years? What's it going to do to me in 20 minutes? And without the word of God, we have no standard in our life. And when the Bible goes out of our life, then anything's believable. This is the problem with people who are not born again. There is no standard in your life. What is the standard? Well, I just do what the masses do. Well, that's pretty scary. I just do what my friends tell me to do. I do what Ann Landers tells me to do. I do what my friends tell me. I do what my Ouija board tells me. Well, that's pretty scary stuff. When you start getting in to the need for information. But friends, we all need that. 
Where do we go? Well, I call my friends. You know, what do you think I should do? Should I, should I move in with this girl? Or should I, should I uh, you know, go look for somebody else or whatever? Well, you know, if I was you, I'd, and, and you are asking somebody without a relationship with God, without any standard, opinion. Well, there's a danger. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but they better be counselors. They better not be just looky-loos that are out there just kind of giving you off-the-cuff stuff. It'll destroy your life. You know, you look around today and you see so many lives that are destroyed. Why? They believed the lies of the world, and the lies of the world come oftentimes through people, whether it be the media, your next-door neighbor, your best friend, whatever. Where do you go for truth? That where you're going to hear it straight. So he says, the gospel that I preach is not from man, but it's from God. Because again, there's a couple things. First of all, the Bible says we need to repent. Now, I don't like sometimes people tell me to stop doing what I'm doing and start doing something else, but I need to repent. What do we repent from? Defining life our way. You know, everybody wants their life to mean something in eternity. Everybody wants their life to mean something now. But if I just go around asking people's opinion rather than what God thinks, I can find myself following something that isn't true. So the gospel came from God. Now, again, when we study what the gospel is, it's the gospel of grace. It's by faith we're saved. Now, what does that mean? It's not by works of righteousness, lest anyone would boast, the Bible tells us. What does that mean? Simply this, God gives us salvation. I like that. God gives us something we could never earn in ourselves. Well, what does that, what does that tell us? He says, for I neither received it from man, nor was taught it, but came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I do believe, friends, that as you spend time alone with the Lord, God will teach you things. Now again, that invisible Holy Spirit that came inside of us when we accepted Christ as our Savior, when we read his word, all of a sudden we go, I get it. Isn't it grand when the penny drops, when you get it, you know, when the the wires connect and you go, oh yeah. Well, that's what God does. For you've heard it of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Notice he doesn't say of God, but he says, I was man-pleasing. And what was he doing in that man-pleasing? Killing people. (laughs) Oh man, sound like ISIS today? Same thing. They think they're doing God a favor by going around and blowing up children on school buses. Well, you can be zealous. You can be religious and not even have a clue who God is. So he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem with those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia 
and returned again to Damascus. So he tells us here in the next verse, and after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. He didn't immediately go back to Jerusalem saying, hey, everybody, I'm saved. God led him out in the wilderness. I think there was a couple of reasons why that was. His reputation was that he liked to kill Christians. And so Paul just disappears off the scene. All of a sudden, this persecutor of the church is gone for three years. And when he reappears, the rumors were that he'd gotten saved, but now here he is back. And he goes to Jerusalem and meets with Peter. And the Bible also tells us uh, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, the same one who wrote the book of James. So he says, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, and I don't lie, Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I, and I was unknown in the face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. I, 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 again, they didn't have uh, cell phones and newspapers and stuff like that. So he, he was able to go in and, and share faith with people. And I was unknown by the face, because, again, the reason why... People didn't, didn't, uh, couldn't recognize him, and he'd been out of circulation for a while. And so they were hearing only. And he who formerly persecuted us is now preaches the faith which is once tried, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So he would identify who he was. He's saying, "Look, I'm changed," and people are going, "Wow, that's awesome." God is a people changer. You know, I suppose in this room, if we were to go around and interview every person, all of us has a testimony of what God did, how he took us from where we were and made us what he wanted us to be. Again, we talk about repentance a few minutes ago, and what we do is we cease to define life our way. Uh, I was put on this earth, you were put on this earth for a, a purpose. But if we are in rebellion to God, we're saying, I'm taking my life, God, and I'm doing what I want. When we come to Christ, we say, Lord, I recognize my life is from you. You put me on this earth for a reason. Now I'm about your business. That's what repentance is. Where we no longer live life our way, but we live life God's way. Why? Two things. First of all, you'll have a life worth living. That's a great thing. And number two, you have a reward in heaven which fades not away. Most of the stuff we do on this earth, in fact, all the stuff we do on this earth before we come to Christ will fade away and be nothing. You know, it's funny that we look uh, even back through history and you see these great accomplishments that were done by people and now nobody even knows who they are anymore. You think about, uh, think about, uh, and I always use the illustration of the trophies in the box. They're being sold for a quarter. No one cares about the person's shin splints for being the fastest runner. No one cares about being the fastest uh, uh, whatever it might have been or the best whatever it was. Isn't that a tragic way to live your life, that when you look at your life, that it's a bunch of accomplishments that don't mean anything to anybody? But when we become a Christian, God says now your life is going to mean something here because you're going to affect and influence the lives of others and... In heaven, you please me, and I'll reward you for what you've done. Now, the Bible tells us about rewards. It tells us about crowns. 
I know a lot of people say, well, I don't care about that. I just want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. All I can tell you is this. You don't care about them now, you will then, and you'll be glad you're getting some. Now, the thing is, you're going to be rewarded for what you do. The Bible says even a cup of cold water in his name brings a reward. Now, why is that important? We all live our lives. And I think sometimes, maybe Sunday morning is a good time for that, but I think also through the week in our prayers, God, is my life pleasing to you? Am I doing what you want me to do? Is it going to have the impact in eternity that you want me to have? I want to live life to the fullest, not in my definition, but in your definition. Because life in the fullest of my definition always leaves me empty. You ever notice that? I don't care how big a thrill you get, you'll always... Yeah, well, there's two things. That was the whole problem with the Epicureans and the Stoics that we find in the book of Acts. They sit around and debate the meaning of life. The Epicurean says, life is for fun. That's what it's all about. But the problem is, in life for fun, is that no matter what experience you have, if you keep doing it long enough, it won't be fun anymore. So the idea then is how much fun do you have, how much Epicurean delight do you have without being too much where you get bored with it? Anybody that's ever had a new car, a motorcycle, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The thrill is there. But after you ride it a while and somebody drives up with a new one alongside of yours, the thrill is gone. I want one of those. See, at the moment, at the time, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. But it gets old. This is the problem with self-seeking and the satisfaction that the world brings. It always leaves us empty. Well, this is what the Bible is talking about here. The reason we live. The purpose we live. You know, when people see what God has done in you, and we change our life from seeking our own self, seeking the, the, the temporary happinesses that the world brings. Well, I'm not saying God doesn't want us to be happy. Do you know what? You'll never have a, a greater joy in your life until you lead somebody to Christ. Somebody asked me one time, what motivates you year after year to keep doing what you do through all the wars you've been through, through all the slander you've been through, through all the stuff? It's just that one person that accepts Christ. That brings me joy beyond everything that I've ever known. And the reason why is this. I know that person's going to be in heaven forever. I know that person will never be the same. See, all the other joys will fall away. But what's done for Christ will last forever. So when you step out and you do something for God, always know this. That God is pleased, but generally a lot of people aren't. So Paul here is saying that they glorified God in me because they saw the change that came with me. You know, it's funny. I've talked to people that accept Christ and they go, well, I, I don't notice a lot of difference. Maybe you don't, but I guarantee you one thing. The people around you see it. They do. They notice the change that has happened in your life. It's the way God works. Though you may not always notice it. In fact, the old saying goes, the gifts of God, the Holy Spirit gifts that are in you, are more evident to others than they are to you. You know, we don't even, because why? We live in it. 
We live in the gifts of God. We live in the salvation of God. We live because it's part of our life. People around us, and especially those that aren't of faith, they look and go, whoa, this person's really different. I remember what they used to be like. I remember when we used to do whatever we wanted to do. No one cared. Now this person, because they're different, there's a different standard now in the room when they walk in. Well, that's the way God works. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.